and welcome to this week's Tez FE podcast. My name is Kate Parker and I'm joined by Julia Balgtai. Hello. Hello. And this week with us we have Stuart Rimmer. Sorry, student Rimmer. Stuart Rimmer. Every day is a school day, we're always learning. <laughs> who is the Chief Executive and Principal of East Coast College and he's also the Chair of the Association of Colleges Mental Health and Wellbeing Board. How are you Stuart? I'm marvellous, thank you, Friday afternoon. So uh, what better way to round off the week than talking to uh, to Tess? Well, exactly. So today we're going to be talking about the new report that was published yesterday on um, the rise in ill student mental health um, across colleges. So uh, the report doesn't make for great reading, really. Um, the statistic that sticks out is that 94% of colleges reported um, a student who had attempted suicide in the past 12 months. Um, 85% have seen an increase in students uh, men- with mental health problems that have got no diagnosis. And 83% say they've seen an increase on last year. So Stuart, what do you make of those results? Did they surprise you or were they kind of reflective of what you know you see every day in your college? Well, I think there's, uh, it's the second time we've done this data set. So we, we, as the Association of Colleges uh, took some data around three years ago. So what's, um, what's probably not surprising is the overall increase. Um, it's the first time we've asked questions around um, suicide. And so that's the first time we've collected data as the FE sector on that. And, and that whilst that was kind of surprising to me as a, as a leader, uh, when we talk to frontline staff they, who are dealing this day in, day out, they, they're not surprised at all. Uh, teachers I've spoken to in, in my own college recognise the significant increase. And, and I guess that the, the, the non-diagnosis piece that you, that you, you quoted, uh, 83%, that was, that was quite surprising. But at the same time, we've seen um, local public services cut which means there's less access to, to, to counselling services, to diagnostic teams, particularly on sort of what you describe as tier tier one and two behaviour around mental health difficulties. So, so broadly, no, it's, it's, it's sad, it's disappointing, but it's probably not surprising. Mm. And why do you think, oh, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, that in the past year, student, we've heard so much about student mental health being affected by the pandemic. Um, but, you know, there are other reasons in there as well, aren't there, and other factors as to why, in, you know, there has been this this rise. Sure. I mean, I mean, the pandemic has been, an, uh, I always say the pandemic's an amplifier. It, it's not a, it's not a, re- a reason in itself. It's it's not a root cause, actually. Uh, some of the root causes that came through from the data is about how safe people feel at home or whether they've got access to, to services. Um, I think there's, you know, it's, it's far more complex than just blaming it on COVID. Uh, a lot of these issues were there underlying beforehand. Um, but if you've got a, a young person in a household that um, where the household is experiencing extra pressure and then there's extra pressure from working online, you've got digital poverty playing in, well, all that's doing is ramping up the 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 layers of pressure that young people are feeling right now and i think that's starting to play out in the in the data uh, but but also i think there's there's also some students actually to be fair if you've got social anxiety for example are possibly finding an interesting and more positive route through covid so um i think the covid piece is, is probably a bit more complex than than just a raw data broadly though uh, i think we've we've probably seen a, a period of the last 3 years where Students have uh, developed a sense of mental health literacy. They're able to talk about it. That can only be a good thing. Uh, we are now open to talking about it. So, you know, through things like Time to Talk and the Mental Health Foundation, who's, who's pressed that agenda, 
that's very, very positive. So we now think that we're comfortable in talking about it, but we have to do something about it. And there, there is already a lot being done in colleges, isn't there? You know, even from, from my own research and then looking at your report, you know, the, the, the amount of um, counsellors in colleges has definitely increased. The amount of work they do in tutorials has increased. You know, the amount of um, first aiders, staff being trained as mental health first aiders has increased. So there is, it's not like there isn't, um, you know, support for students out there, is there? There is a lot for them. It's come through really clearly in this, uh, in this data set that the work that colleges have done over the last three years since the first cut is absolutely stunning. It's um, It's been systematic, it's been strategic, it has been uh, from frontline uh, through, to, through to governing bodies. 170 colleges have signed up to the mental health charter that we devised, it's got 11 commitments in it. Um, and, and so there's a real attitudinal kind of shift we've experienced. And you're right, there's more, people trained as mental health first aiders there are better links with um uh, pcts and and you know in terms of care trusts um the difficulty is that the resource is getting put in by colleges but it's sort of not being matched by a central resource and i think that's probably where the crux is so colleges are making those investments without the funding to do that and, and i don't want to get boring because all principals keep rambling on about funding and and that's it's a bit one-dimensional the, the difficulty is, though, this work really does need painful. It's real work, real frontline work. So I, I can, as a principal, come up with all sorts of strategies and, and, and wise words. But under, fundamentally, you need frontline staff in counselling, in student wellbeing, in drug and alcohol re rehabilitation, uh, in referral services, in mental health nurses. That's, the, that's, that's where the proper influential work happens. In Go on, Julia, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to ask, why do you think that money hasn't been forthcoming? I know Scotland during the pandemic has made some money available for mental health support in college and also for additional student support on a number of levels. Why do you think, do you think the Westminster government just isn't seeing the importance of this or is it a lack of awareness issue or is there just no money? I'd be, I'd be really disappointed if it was a lack of awareness issue. Um, I, I, I think there's a, there's a few things that I'd, I'd reflect on is that there is a danger that it just is headline grabbing in the sense of uh, student increase in mental health. And I think that uh, what hopefully the report does is it starts to highlight where the specific laser interventions need to need to be. And I think that's a, a thing, a piece of work that we have to now do to sell that idea into government. Fundamentally, it's probably that there's lots of moving parts in government and this is just one item on a very long list of things that uh, government are very quickly trying to retrofit into a, a sector that was already underfunded and struggling. Um, I would like to see some ring fence funding coming into FE um, so that it's not diluted, um, so that we, we have some funding that directly is for uh, mental health services. And and I think, you know, pointing to the Scottish system, it's always interesting to compare uh, but as we as we've seen throughout pandemic, for example, uh, Scotland's you know a month ahead of the rest of the uh, the country. So uh, where Scotland go first, uh, the rest will inevitably follow. And you know when you were talking about kind of the laser focus on the specific support, how important do you think it is that there is specific training on suicide awareness, for example? You know, I, I spoke to um, a professor at Worcester University about um, how colleges could support students at risk of suicide, and she was saying that it's just not enough to have the provision on mental health. It, there needs to be specific tailored stuff for those students at risk as well. Would, would you agree with that? 
Look, I'm not a clinician and I would never claim to be a, a clinician or a, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm, I'm a college principal. Um, anything that helps reduce the desperately sad position where a young person even considers suicide, let alone uh, attempts it, um, I think is, is, is really critical. And we should follow, you know, follow the evidence, follow the science and follow the experts on this. There's people like Papyrus, there's the Zero Suicide Alliance, Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, who are good partners to the AOC. Uh, they've got lots of materials and resource and training on this specifically. And once again, it's training for frontline staff who can hopefully put earlier interventions. When we're talking about suicide, we're really talking about a crisis point in young people, and that's a very expert, specialist piece of advice. I think what I'm looking to try and do is how do you do intervention work that happens way before a young person gets to the position where they start to to ideate or or, or start to to make make steps towards that and in the report there is you know kind of 14 recommendations that um the AOC gives for themselves and for policymakers and for colleges so what are you know talk me through those what are the kind of things that you'd like to see colleges uh you know introducing thank you yeah it was really important that we didn't just um preach at government in this report because actually I think there is things that the sector can do for itself I think there's things that colleges can do for themselves uh, and then yes there's things that policymakers need to start doing so if I start with you know colleges uh, the first thing is there's 170 colleges signed up to the mental health charter and, uh, and we need that to be 250 um, it's a, it's about having a commitment that uh, really starts to make sure that there's a proactive strategy, that staff well-being is considered, that um, we start to think about um, being able to talk openly around mental health uh, conditions in colleges. And I think loads of colleges are good at this, but we can get a bit better. Um, I think colleges directly should have, uh, and this is improved, so it's not a, from a deficit point, it's, it's colleges really do need to get really close to local transformation plans and, and uh Care, uh, clinical uh, commissioning groups because if they do that that's likely the people who've got the resource it's not always the resource comes out of DfE it comes out of NHS England and um, and I think if we can get involved in those uh, that's that's really critical um, and then there's obviously the big ticket items for um, uh, policymakers I think the simplest one is that we do impact assessments around all sorts of criteria um, such as equality and diversity we wouldn't think about putting a policy in without really understanding its uh, its impact there we should do one around mental health and well-being so net is is a government policy likely to add pressure and add stress to young people or is it going to take it away so for example right now there's conversations about examinations that are you know filling the the pages of tests um right now there's someone in policy thinking for one second is this going to have a detrimental impact on on young people's mental health and well-being and staff mental health and well-being who are, who are busy trying to teach in these strange conditions. That would be a great starting point and that's all free. None of that involves money. And there is there is stuff in the report as well about staff mental health, isn't there? We should say that, that it's not just kind of on the pitch of student mental health, but the stuff that colleges do themselves to support their staff too. Yeah, I think that we're at a stage where we should start to really understand staff well-being in a bit more of a, a deeper uh, reflective way um, so that starting point would obviously be doing sort of kind of survey work but also looking at uh, you know we're, I think we're probably most leaders are under a lot of pressure and we probably need to understand the leadership well-being position a bit better 
and also um, reviewing how, particularly in the conditions working at the moment, how staff wellbeing is affected and workload is is affecting wellbeing as well. So I think there's there are things that we can do. Uh, most colleges have uh, employee assistance programs or counselling services that are available, but is that comprehensive? Can we make them widespread? Is there long wait times? Um, I think it's about colleges challenging themselves a little bit more around well-being and support, and that's everything from, like I said, workload through to how you work from home effectively, and how do you get that work-life balance, which is particularly difficult at the moment with people working in bedrooms on on laptops. But um, in the long run, as we could come back, we need to really start thinking about what that looks like. Stuart, you mentioned the mental health charter already and the, the large number of colleges have signed up for that. Were you surprised by how open your kind of fellow leaders were to, to signing up to this? Or were you quite conscious that there is a, a sort of lack of, you know, that, that people really know that something needs to happen now and then colleges need to, to do something? It's, um, it, it's taken a while uh, to be fair, Julia, to get to the position of, of 170. And I think the reason it was, was talking to, to some colleague uh, leaders, um, there's always going to be a nervousness about making public commitments in something like a charter. And we, and, and that was the reason we, we wrote it in the way we did. It, it was a public commitment. We asked people to sign it. Um, and, and I think that's important. Um, but there was, I think, a reluctance to sort of get to the starting point to say, can we really do all this? And it requires, you know, governance uh, arrangements to be in place to look at well-being for staff and students. Um, it, it says we have to look at uh, information to parents and carers, and and it's and obviously mental health and well-being is 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 one of uh, a long list of things on people's very long to-do lists to get hold of. Um, my own view and the and the ones that sort of were forthcoming to start off with were really um, proactive, and the reason they were was. For two reasons, one I've always described it as a moral imperative that we look after people's well-being and mental health. That it, it just as being good human beings, that's what we should be doing anyway, as good leaders, as good uh, citizens. The second thing, which is as important, is actually academic outcomes. I think are higher and better as a result of students having better mental health and well-being. There's less retention dropout. There's better attendance rates. There's less barriers to to learning or accessing or applying for jobs and progression. Uh, there's better quality transition. Uh, so I think there's a, a whole set of reasons why this is a you know intellectually a no brainer to 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 get into. But practically, uh, we're asking colleges to make quite a big commitment, uh, and we understand that. But the the other reason I think just final point for me would be around. It's for us as colleges to take the first step, and that's what the charter was. It was saying to government, we will step first. We will do all of this stuff. We're not asking you for a penny to do it. Uh, we'll do all of this, but at some point we're going to start asking for something in return. And I think that's the point we're at right now. Well, I think, you know, the importance of all of this just can't be underestimated in any way. And um, thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to speak to us about it. And we really hope that, you know, the report does make the impact that it needs and that collectively, you know, everyone kind of steps up to really support, you know, our students' mental health. So, um, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you thank both. You. Thank you very both very much. And, and, and just a final, final point, because I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Um, thank you to anybody who's working frontline right now uh, in colleges. Um, they're just doing a tremendous job.
and I think we need to uh, to to recognise that, particularly around working with students with uh, for mental health and wellbeing. It's uh, it's really quite stunning. Here, here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Second dad. Yes, yeah. yes. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, and we'll speak to you soon, Stuart. Thank you both. Bye -bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye.